Topic 12, Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature, Topic 12, Second Paper, by the Honorable H. A. Rucker. What are the causes of the great mortality among the Negroes in the cities of the South, and how is that mortality to be lessened? Out of the Southland, that awful crucible of prejudice and proscription, like steel tempered by fire, and hardened for the practical uses of mankind, has come numerous valiant spirits, whose advent was so timely as to have seemed divinely inspired. Price and Cain, Eliot and Bruce, Kailu and others, who have joined the silent majority, did noble work and lived to see the race's redemption but it has been left for newer and younger men to complete the structure on the foundation that was furnished by the old guard. The modern age of politics and business in the sunny South, the home of nine-tenths of the Negroes, offers no brighter luminary than the Honorable Henry A. Rucker of Georgia. Young as years go, but mature in all the attributes that command success and popular esteem, the life of Henry A. Rucker is a priceless textbook for the aspiring Afro-American youth. Guided upward by nothing save the lofty counsel of a good mother and the inherent qualities of a true gentleman, he has scaled the heights, and for himself, has solved the problem of how the fittest may survive, and is giving to the whole race the key by which he wrought out so clear a solution. No ledger domain has worked his upward flight. The ingredients that he has utilized are simple, even if rare, and are within the reach of the least favored of human beings. Honesty of purpose, fidelity to every trust and adherence to the golden rule. He has always been able to secure what was justly his without encroaching upon the sacred rights or legitimate possessions of another. Harboring no malice in his own bosom, he has softened the wrath of his neighbor and demonstrated how clever diplomacy and a manly appeal to the finer instincts of a possible enemy yields richer returns than all the force and invective that a century could bring to bear. If the battle is to be fought out on lines of mental competition and personal worth rather than by balls and bayonets, Mr. Rucker has grasped the situation and the best evidence of the wisdom of his policy of interracial cooperation is the results he has individually achieved 
and the commendation freely offered by the white and colored people who greet him day by day in the routine of duty. Atlanta owes much to the indefatigable energy and inexhaustible public spirit of Henry A. Rucker. He has been active in promoting all of her interests, and that his services have been valuable is cheerfully admitted in the Board of Trade and Industrial Circles. He was conspicuous in advancing the prospects of the famous Exposition of 1895 and is now striving to round out the work of securing a commodious federal building for the enterprising Georgian capital. He bore the brunt of the fight against the Hardwick Bill, and was potent in defeating both that infamous measure and the Payne Resolution. He has been repeatedly elected a delegate to the national conventions of the Republican Party. Since July 26, 1897, Mr. Rucker has been Collector of Internal Revenue for the District of Georgia, with headquarters in his own city, Atlanta. The receipts for the last fiscal year were more than double those of preceding years, and exceeded in the same proportion the revenues gathered in any single year since the organization of the state. This marvelous showing is due partially to Mr. Rucker's prompt, thorough, and painstaking plan of operation and, of course, in large measure to the national prosperity, growing out of President McKinley's shrewd financial policies. Brilliant as has been in the past of this progressive Afro-American, the future holds out the promise of grander achievements the race honors mr rucker and holds him close to its heart because he has proven himself a leader that can be trusted when he commands close ranks steady march the georgia populace goes forward in one conquering phalanx determined aggressive and undaunted remembering that enduring power comes not by fits and starts, but by clinching with mailed hand the rewards that have been won. One who has never been taught to appreciate what health is and to understand hygienic laws cannot become a safe guardian of his or her physical being. For when this being is attacked, as is constantly the case, by its millions of enemies, if all of its portholes have not been properly guarded, it easily falls prey to disease and death. As a race, the Negro has had neither the time nor the opportunity to inform himself on the principles of health-saving or in those of health-getting, if there be such. Both prior to and since his emancipation, his time, except nominally, has been the property of others from whom he has barely eked out an existence, and, from a humanitarian standpoint, has had but little interest in caring for his health. During the years of his enslavement, his mortality, 
in proportion to his numbers and his environments, was no less than it has been since he became a free man, and the bald statement that his death rate during the past thirty-eight years has greatly increased may not be founded on facts. Fair play in discussing this phase of the subject demands careful and patient inquiry into the past history of a people concerning whom little or no minute data of a national character was kept. However, this question may not properly enter into the subject, the contention being that the mortality among the race is excessive, which, if true, may be accounted for in part in the existence of certain acknowledged conditions. Wherever the negro has been cared for, either by himself or by others, he has enjoyed the same immunity from disease and death that those of other races have. And whenever neglected or abused, whether the failure or fault rests with himself or others, impaired health, decay of mind and body, and death have ensued. Compared with the masses, but few negroes at any time within the history of the life of the race in this country have been properly guarded against exposure. The few who in antebellum days were selected as house servants and to fill other kindred places were measurably protected, and now the same classes and that of the more fortunate or business classes have limited protection from more than ordinary exposure. The masses have always done the drudgery, and that too without knowledge or reference to health-keeping. A common practice of employed negroes is to go or be sent on short, quick errands, leaving warm and, in this respect, comfortable places of employment without hat or wrap to brush chilling winds or atmospheric conditions many degrees removed from their places of services. In this practice is the exposure from sudden changes of temperature without preparation. The drayman, the cartman, the man in the ditch, and others whose employment is in the open air are exposed not alone by the character of the work in which they are engaged, but also by reason of the fact that six days of the week, those in which they labor, of necessity, their clothing is poor and shabby, and their persons are ill-kept. While the seventh day finds them, as a rule, well-clad and well-shod. Then their homes, no, their houses, partly because of circumstances beyond their control, and partly on account of their improvident natures, are little more than shelters or huts. These houses are built in what is known or accepted as Negro tenant districts, and those acquainted with the localities need no evidence to convince them that they are not sought as either health or pleasure resorts. They are the city alleyways and the low malarial districts where the noxious gases and foul vapors rise from emptying sewers. 
more than two hundred years application has made the negroes agriculturists they have been accustomed to labor and to plenty of nature's fresh invigorating air they have because of conditions not proper to treat here drifted from the farms and fields into the crowded cities thence into the slums to be infected with disease they have been thrust into prisons where they were provided with the poorest of covering and meanest food for their bodies where scurvy and other loathsome diseases have made their impress upon them and where incentive to cleanliness is as distant as the north and south poles freed from prison life they have gone forth mingling with a class of people infecting them with their scales and spreading disease and death then again the race is without proper places to care for its unfortunate aged and infirm without orphanages reformatories and homes for its friendless institutions which are potent factors in the efforts of a people to prevent neglect and cure criminal tendencies all of these conditions are breeders of ills and conductors of death which must be and happily are being abated the remedy suggested is a knowledge coupled with an appreciation of health both to embrace the science of health preserving and of health getting better homes and better habits even to being temperate in all things acquired accepted and practised the mortality of the race will be materially lessened end of topic twelve second paper